Evening. It always feels somewhat like a jolt, uh, if not minimally an interruption, uh, when we come to these Good Friday services to our, our rhythm and our schedules. Uh, but I think we have something to sit in as we look at the cross before we head to Resurrection Sunday in the Easter season. Last night at our Maundy Thursday dinner, Pastor Gerald talked about our journey through Holy Week as following the footsteps of Jesus. Following the footsteps of Jesus sounds like an exciting journey um, until we have to follow Jesus' footsteps to Good Friday, which requires of us a willingness to walk into shame, humiliation, and mockery. The path of Jesus in Matthew 27 is a path of humility and humiliation. Oftentimes when we meditate on the passion narratives of Jesus, we focus on these few short phrases. One of them in Matthew 27, verse 26, that says, having scourged Jesus. And we reflect on the horror of scourging. And then in verse 35, when it says, when they had crucified him. And we spend much time thinking of the horrible atrocity that crucifixion was. And yet in reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we do not get a clear understanding of the gory details of scourging and crucifixion. If all we had the historical realities of scourging and crucifixion were the four Gospels, we would not know very much about either. It seems that Matthew is wanting us to spend our time meditating on something else. It seems to me that the quick references to scourging and crucifixion in Matthew inform us that he wants us to wrestle with something else. In fact, attention to the gory details can actually hijack what Matthew really wants us to see. The threads that weave together Matthew's account of Jesus' death are the threads of shame, humiliation, and mockery. Matthew wants us to see the shame of Jesus' death. Matthew wants us to be uncomfortable as we look onto Jesus being mocked by the Roman battalion. In fact, Matthew is not interested in us doing an in-depth research on the historical realities of scourging and crucifixion so that we feel really bad about the pain that Jesus endured. Matthew is not trying to create a cinematic experience for us that vividly displays the physical pain of Jesus' death just so that we feel bad that Jesus went through so much pain. Most anyone can feel bad about torture. No. Instead, Matthew wants us wants to find out if we are willing to be true disciples of Jesus. 
the Jesus of his story? Are we willing to follow the Jesus that leads us by walking us into shame and humiliation? True disciples of Jesus are willing to follow him on the path of shame, humiliation, and mockery. This is the path that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Debedee exemplified for us. They, these women, stayed with Jesus from Galilee all the way to Golgotha. The question is not for Matthew, can you feel bad about a torturous death? The question is, will we follow a leader that exemplifies a path that leads to shame? Will we follow a man that claimed kingship and claimed this unique relationship with the one true living creator God who he called his father, but also who died with questions? Matthew's last recording of Jesus' words are, why have you forsaken me? Is this the king in mockery and shame that we are eager to follow. First, I would like to review how it was, in fact, that Jesus was humiliated, shamed, and mocked. First, it started with Jesus being betrayed. Just the chapter previous, Judas Iscariot and Peter, both denying and betraying Jesus already by the time we get to chapter 27. And at this point, the disciples in chapters 27 are nowhere to be found. Imagine going through your most difficult situation in life and all of your closest friends are nowhere to be found. They deny even knowing you because the shame that you represent. It would be shameful and humiliating to them to admit their relationship with you. Humiliation for Jesus as he's betrayed by his closest companions. Jesus was mocked in his kingship. In my opinion, as I read through the Gospels and I imagine Jesus being presented to Pilate, I see the emphasis on the word you when Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? This man bound up before me by the Jewish leaders, this one, this is the one, right? You, Jesus of Nazareth, you're the king of the Jews. This is the best you could bring before me. You're the one causing all these problems. You are the king of the Jews. Jesus simply replies, you say that I am. And in front of the whole Roman battalion, Jesus was stripped of all of his clothes. Clothed instead with a mocking scarlet robe, a crown of thorns, and a stick for a scepter. This scene is not to rehearse how painful thorns would be. Surely they were. There is no denial of that. But the scene is to create, for Matthew, is to create for us in our minds, a scene of mockery and shame. 
This king of Israel, self-proclaimed, now stands in their scarlet robe and a crown of thorns and a stick for a scepter. What a shame. While they finished his apparel, they kneeled in front of Jesus and cried out with their mocking voice, Hail, King of the Jews. And while some were chanting, Hail, King of the Jews, others were spitting upon him and striking him in the head. There was no honor, no shame. Excuse me, only shame. There was no honor, only shame. Then once again, they stripped him of this mocking clothes and put back on him his original clothes. If that was not enough, he was crucified. Imagine with the lens of shame, instead of pain, the scene of the cross, Jesus hanging, suspended publicly, completely naked, at minimally nearly naked, publicly hanging on a cross in shame. This is the Jesus that Matthew is presenting to us. And while Jesus was hanging on this cross, he was mocked for saying he could rebuild the temple, but can't even save himself. For saying he was the son of God and the true king of Israel, the Mes- Israel's long-awaited Messiah, but could not come down from the cross. For saving others, but himself he couldn't save for trusting God, but God seemed nowhere to be found. And so the words over his head on his cross of crucifixion, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, a mockery. And it is no wonder Jesus' final words in Matthew's account of Jesus' passion was my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The hardest questions of the world are not when, are not where, are not how, but why. Jesus goes to death asking in darkness his father, the hardest question of humanity, why? Jesus died questioning his father. Jesus died in shame. Jesus died in humiliation, being mocked. Is this the Jesus that we have come tonight to follow? Is this the Jesus we come Sunday after Sunday to worship? Is this the Jesus that we seek to follow as we look to be good neighbors. Why does Matthew focus on the humiliation and mockery of Jesus' death? If Jesus, all he had to do was die in our place, if that's all that needed to happen in God's providence was simply for Jesus to die in our place, could it not have been a quiet, simple death? For in fact, the Old Testament 
Lambs that were slaughtered died a more honorable death than the Lamb of God. Unless, unless there is something deeply profound that Jesus is revealing to us about his true identity. The true identity of Jesus is revealed on the path of humiliation, shame, and mockery. That Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Paul states of Jesus twice, once in Colossians and once in 2 Corinthians, that Jesus is, he is the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews states of Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. We even, in our own liturgy, often sing the lyrics, Jesus, the perfect picture of the unseen God. But if Jesus is everything that I have just stated above, how is he both the exact imprint of God's nature and the one who pursued shame? How is it that this same Jesus is both the exact imprint of the beautiful, glorious God and the one in shame, questioning, and mocked, hanging on a cross? Are these two realities separately true? Is that the way we make sense of it? On one side, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, and then on the other side of the coin, Jesus is willing to take shame for others. Are they two separate realities that we just somehow have to keep in bounds? Or, or do both converge to reveal to us what it means to be God? Both the lion and the lamb. Jesus' humility, his willingness to consider others' interests, confirms without a shadow of a doubt that he is equal with God. No other human being in the history of the world since Adam and Eve has been able to fully love their neighbor as themselves and love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. No human being, save now Jesus, has been willing to fully commit their lives to considering others' interests. And this doesn't happen because simply he became human, but to reveal what it means to be God in human flesh. In fact, the very reality of God's desire to even create the world reveals a God who is willing to create a world in which he considers the interests of those weaker than himself. Considering others' interests is not alien to God, but instead part of the core of the God we worship. The humiliation of Jesus is not a footnote in the identity of the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, 
but a confirmation of who he really is. What other, think with me, what other small g God eternally assumes flesh so that he might become a sympathetic high priest to those he created? What do we see in the humility of Jesus in becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross is a window into the very nature of God. What makes Jesus unbearable to look at while being scourged and being crucified is not just the physical mutilation of his flesh, but the shame of others' mockery toward him. And yet, it is in the shame and it is in the humiliation of the passion of Jesus that we are being welcomed and invited into the reality of what it means to be God and to share in the life of God. What it means to fulfill covenant love. What it means to be powerful. If we hear and read the passion of Jesus as the weak side of Jesus, then we have completely misunderstood power. One commentator writes, in a way, what Jesus does not do that is, in not getting off the cross when tempted to, is more powerful than anything he ever did do. Real power is in the control of power, the willingness to express power in weak-seeming ways. If the Sermon on the Mount could not teach this, perhaps the Sermon on the Cross can. This is the Jesus we come to follow. What Matthew keeps reiterating for us is these scenes of shame. This is what Matthew wants us to see about Good Friday, is the shame of Jesus. But in the shame, he reveals for us a profound, unexplainable, beautiful love. What's interesting to note in Matthew 27 is that we have two characters within the story that reveal the exact opposite of what Jesus did. The chief priests, first toward Judas Iscariot and also Barabbas. In the opening verses of Matthew 27, we have an interaction between Judas and the chief priests and elders of Israel. Judas had come to the realization of what his betrayal meant to Jesus. Matthew says that Judas changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. It is an ongoing historical, even phenomenon to try to understand Judas's motives in this account. And I'm not trying to solve that in this issue, that issue tonight. What I simply would like to highlight is the chief priest's response to Judas. At the very least, we know that Judas recognizes the evil in what he did. Judas says 
He goes to the high priests and says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And what do the chief priests respond to Judas? What is their response to him? Imagine this. The chief priests say, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Can you imagine? This was the place to confess sins and look for resolution. The chief priests used Judas for their own agenda. When Judas came back confessing his sins, they acted as if it wasn't their problem. Imagine going to God, confessing your sins, and he says, not my problem. Deal with it yourself. Apparently, the temple was no longer a place for where sinners could be reconciled to God. And yet Jesus is the exact opposite of the chief priests. Jesus says to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. In irony, unlike the chief priest, Jesus was innocent. Jesus is innocent and still willing to welcome us no matter our sin. The second character that's the opposite of Jesus is Barabbas. Barabbas' name means son of the father. Bar means son. Abba means father. Barabbas. Pilate gave Israel the choice of sons of the father, the two sons, Barabbas, whose name means son of the father, and Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the son of God. He gave them the choice, which one do you want to release? Barabbas was a political revolutionary, a zealot, representing for Israel a man that was willing to die in effort to take the lives of his enemies. He was honorable. He was strong. He was able to lead Israel and take on the worst empire of them all, Rome, in an effort to kill his enemies. And so Israel had the choice of a man who was going to die trying to kill his enemies or a man who was going to die trying to save his enemies. And it is in this Shame in this humiliation and mockery of a man who's willing to give up his life for his enemies that we find the true identity of Jesus. And we see the exact imprint of the nature of God. In Jesus' innocence, he was willing to give up his life. In Jesus' innocence, he was willing to sacrifice his life that we might also have life. This is the Jesus that Matthew calls us to follow, even if it means shame and humiliation and mockery. In conclusion, many of us have come here tonight with shame for a variety of reasons. The shame of mistakes, 
The shame of past mistakes, maybe, that you can't undo. The shame of inferiority. The shame of feeling like you don't belong. To you, I say, Jesus knows your shame. Jesus sympathizes with your weaknesses. Jesus understands what it feels like to be shamed. And he came, he came with the purpose to be for you a sympathetic high priest. Bring your shame to him. He knows what it means to feel shame. His question to his father before his death was not hypothetical. Many of us here have also come tonight with the experience of being mocked, whether in our past or feeling it in certain situations on a weekly basis, maybe because of the way God made you, maybe because you hold different beliefs or you love Jesus, or because certain people don't perceive you as belonging. To you, I want to say, Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked. Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked by those who perceive themselves to be on the inside. Go to Jesus in your shame, in your mocking. All of us have come here tonight, guilty by our own sin, whether of the mockery we have made of others or of denying Jesus for the shame it would bring upon us. As we sang this evening, I can specifically remember a point in my life where the words, behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders, Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. I can remember in my life the moment where the weight of the shame of Jesus was pressing in upon me and I was seeing my sin upon his shoulder. I could almost hear my mocking voice pushing away the call of the Spirit. But it was in the midst of my own brokenness that grace and mercy came to me. It was in that moment of my own mockery that I saw the humiliation of Jesus as beautiful, something that could potentially save my life. The Apostle Paul knows these experiences, these counterintuitive realities where there's freedom and weakness and true, the true meaning of power. Paul says, on account in a conversation with Jesus, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the call of discipleship that Matthew calls us to, to follow this Jesus. And so tonight I ask you, will you follow him? If you are here tonight and you have never in your life considered following this Jesus, would you go to his feet to seek mercy and grace and forgiveness? If you are here tonight and you have been following Jesus, I ask that you reimagine the Jesus you're going to continue following based on this passion narrative that Matthew gives us in chapter 27. Are we willing to receive shame for the sake of his name? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you on this evening of Good Friday, perplexed once again by the absurdity of the Son of Man hanging in shame on a cross. We come to you again another year of Good Friday, confused why Jesus would be asking why. And yet, Father, we know that as we stay in that uncomfortable reality, we find the true understanding of who you are, that you are for us, that you care for us. And so we put all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our humiliation at the foot of the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.